Okay, well, Job chapter 40. Uh, here we're coming to the end of where God is leading Job in trying to convict him. It seems to me that although he is a, a good living man and has not committed the gross sins that the, the friends infer and imply that he has, uh, he all the same has got to recognize that he is saved by grace and that this sort of middle class spirituality whereby, you know, I recognize that I'm not a super righteous person as uh, Job recognized. He, he says in, through his speeches that, yeah, I've sinned, but I always confess my sins and sort it out and play on sort of thing. Uh, and I'm also not a desperate, uh, awful uh, impenitent sinner who's going to be condemned. This what I would call middle class spirituality, this bourgeois kind of uh, I'm sort of uh, self-satisfied and contented and I, I really should be okay with God. It's this attitude which God is leading him at such great length to, to get rid of and to convict him of his, his total need for God's grace. And in this I think we we see something that calls to us over the thousands of years from since the time of Job to our own day, because so many of us are, I think, in that same position. And so God uh, speaks to Job out of the, the whirlwind, and I have made the point, and will make it again, uh, that this is similar to how God appears to Adam, that when we read in Genesis that God sort of appeared to Adam in the cool of the day, the AV says, that, that is an awful translation. And the real idea is that there was a ruach, a, a, a wind, in fact a whirlwind, that was passing through the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve hide themselves amongst the trees to try to get out of the blast, and God calls to Adam and says, where are you, sort of, who are you, etc., and convicts Adam of his sin. And that, in essence, is what's happening to Job. To Job, who said that I am not as Adam, hiding my sin in my bosom, etc., that he is convicted that Adam is every man, and that includes Job. And I think finally here in chapter 40, Job kind of gets the point, or begins to get the point. He says, verse 4, I will lay my hand upon my mouth, now, the only other time that phrase is used in the book of Job is by Job in chapter 21, verse 5, where he tells the friends, you should lay your hands upon your mouth. You've got it wrong. And now he's convicted that he is, in fact, no better than his very irritating, spiritually inferior, immature brethren, his three friends. Um, so although they were clearly spiritually inferior to him, and he knew that, and I think they knew that, um, he's being convicted that in essence he is no better than them before God. And that is, I think, a lesson that, that we all have to learn, because as we pass through our ecclesial lives, our life in the body of Christ, we keep on meeting people who are also uh, sons of God, as it were, but who clearly are less mature than we are and who are incredibly irritating, have all the wrong conclusions, uh, wrong understandings, etc. And yes, they should lay their hands upon their mouths, and yet we are convicted, should be convicted ourselves. He says uh, of the same, he says in verse, seven, uh, verse 4, Behold, I am vile. Uh, and this is really vile, it's the Hebrew word for cursed. And there's so many allusions to early Genesis in Job that 
again, I would see this as Job coming to realise that he is really no better uh, than Adam uh, and those that, that, that were cursed, um, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, even though formally he has thought that he's so much better. And so, uh, verse 6, the Lord answers Job uh, out of the whirlwind, which is, as I say, similar to what happened to to Adam, and God uh, answers Adam, uh, sorry, God answers Job as he answers uh, to Adam, uh, asking where he is, who he is, uh, etc. And yet he he says um, in verse 6, Sorry, verse 7. Uh, gird up your loins now like a man. I'm going to demand of you, and you must declare unto me. And God says that in response to what Job has said in verse 4, where he says, what shall I answer you? God has said in verse 2, now come on, Job, answer. And Job says, well, what can I answer you? I lay my hand upon my mouth. I'm not going to talk. I will not answer, he says, verse 5. I will proceed no further. I'm not going to answer. But God has said in verse 2, you must answer. Job says, no, I'm not going to answer. I lay my hand upon my mouth. No, I'm vile, I'm bad, no, no. I recognize that I'm a sinner. Yep, okay, I'm not going to answer. And God says, no, verse 7, I am going to demand of you, and you shall declare unto me. So, this again is, I think, uh, how God works with us. That was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, okay, sure, fine, uh, end of story. Um, yeah, okay, don't keep on about it kind of thing. But we have to be led, and we are led if we respond to God's leading, to the point where really and truly we are convicted that I really am a serious sinner. And... God sort of tries to uh, convict uh, Job that he really is so small um, and helpless, really, to sort out his own salvation by bringing before him these huge animals in chapter 40, Behemoth, and in chapter 41, Leviathan. Now, here in chapter 40, we're just thinking about uh, Behemoth. Now, this is really, the word for beast, which you've got in, uh, in Genesis, used about the beasts of the field. And you could really translate behemoth as the beast. Now, some people like to make out that this is a, a hippotamus, um, particularly from verse 23, he can drink up the whole of Jordan. Uh, but there's various uh, parts of, shall we say, his anatomy, behemoth's anatomy, which don't quite fit with uh, hippopotamus um, and so I personally don't think it's a hippo I think that this is simply an awesome fearsome beast a huge scary beast that God is presenting to Job and the, the key point about this is in verse 19 he's the chief of the ways of God he that made him, that's God he alone can make his sword to approach unto him. So why is there all this lengthy description of this huge, scary beast? Well, in my book, The Real Devil, 
uh, where I, I sort of deconstruct the idea, popular idea of the devil and Satan, I suggest that one theme in the book of Job is in fact to deconstruct the popular idea of Satan. Uh, by showing that God is in fact the one who is ultimately responsible for human suffering. So you could read it on that level, that this is the sort of scary monster, super creep, that uh, is thought to be the devil or Satan, and God is saying, look, I created this guy, and only my sword, therefore, can approach under him, not you. And that, that's on one level, I, I think, but I think also that... You know, Job had suffered hugely. You know, he had suffered physically, loss of his health, loss of his status, loss of his uh, spiritual status, because he'd been convinced by the ecclesia of his day of being a serious sinner when he wasn't. Lost his wife, lost his children, his wealth, everything he, he had lost apart from his life. And he struggles with that. And I think really this huge beast, this huge mound of powerful flesh, that is now sort of brought before him in the story of Behemoth, or the description of Behemoth, I think in a sense it is symbolic of how colossal and awful were the situations that Job faced. But the point is, of course, that God created all this, that all that ultimately is from God. And all Job's intellectual struggles with the situation were because I think he thought that somehow he could shift them. He could somehow come to an understanding. He could somehow justify himself to his brethren. He could somehow answer what they were saying. And I think the whole point of the description of these huge animals, Behemoth and Leviathan in chapter 41, is that no, you can't. You cannot engage. You can't even begin to engage with these issues. But God can, because God is the one who created them and brought them about. And instead, Job, you should be silent and turn to the God who created all these things. Now that is a real, I think, lesson for us, because we all tend to have the impression that somehow I, in my own strength, by my own reasoning, by my own uh, getting out of situations, I can somehow engage with this kind of thing in life. And you can't. This is the whole point. You cannot. You can simply throw yourself upon God's grace. And so God brings before Job this huge, scary kind of description of the beast um, to, to show him that, look, I am the one behind all this. In the same way as he's saying, look, I'm the one behind Behemoth. I'm the one who created him. And the same with Leviathan. Uh, he says about Leviathan in chapter 41 that, you know, I play with him, verse 5, as with a bird. I tie him up and watch him go. I, I, I have fun with him. I put a hook in his nose. You can't put a hook in his nose, verse 2. Um, the, the whole idea is, in a sense, to convict Job of his helplessness in the face of all these issues. And this is why we are confronted at times with awful situations in life, huge beast-like situations that you cannot do anything about. You try to, but the whole point is that you cannot because God has brought these things about. Now, God is 
pretty tough with Job in the way that he speaks to him here. Let's face it. Um, Verse 2, Shall he that contends with the Almighty instruct him? You're reproving me. You think you can reprove God? Well, answer. Verse 7, Will you disannul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be righteous? Have you got an arm like God? Um, I think that... Of course, Job didn't actually say all that in so many words, but God is reading into what Job's position really is and bringing out to him what really he was saying. Now, of course, there's, uh, that, that is okay for God to do that, but we shouldn't do that to our brethren, and, and we see that with the, the failure of the friends, I think. They often make this mistake. You said this, that, and the other. They pretty well put it in inverted commas when Job hadn't said that. Um, But God, of course, can. And God can look at the implications of positions, the implications of where we stand and our attitudes to things and say, look, effectively, you are saying this, that or the other. And so many times Job wants to enter into judgment with God. And I think, and Job sort of says, well, I can't, but I would like to. And God is saying here, but you have. You have reproved me, verse 2, as if you are the judge. Verse 8, you have disannulled my judgment. I am the judge, but you disannulled my judgment. And then you stood as a judge and me as if I'm guilty and you condemned me. So, you know, he so wanted to come to judgment. Then he says, oh, well, I I can't enter into judgment with God who can. And God is saying, "But, but you did. You actually did. And so this is just great how God really does look at the implications of our thoughts and our attitudes. But there's a great comfort in all this, because later on, in Job 42, God says something that on the surface might appear to contradict his attitude to Job. Um, He says in verse 7 of chapter 42, My wrath is kindled against the friends, because you have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job has. Well, God's here in chapter 40 telling Job, you have not spoken the thing that is right about me. But then when Job repents, he says to the friends, Job has spoken about me what is right. Now, if ever there was an example of how God really does forgive and how he really does impute righteousness, well, it's here. I'm reminded, really, of how Jesus is very tough sometimes with how he speaks to the disciples. But if you notice, whenever Jesus is in in dialogue with the Pharisees or his critics, he's very positive about the disciples, very positive about them. He's actually talking to them privately. He's quite tough and quite critical at times. And so I think in that you see the the family nature of God's love and attitude toward us, that he does not turn a blind eye. But because we are his, even though in the course of his hand in our lives he may try to reason with us about how wrong we are, he does impute, if you like, the righteousness to us, which a parent does to their children, because he quite simply loves us. And he is, in that sense, so positive about us. So then, if nothing else that we take from from this, here's, here's 
Job being really criticised by God for not saying the right things about God. But it only takes a few words, a few sentences really from Job. And then God is saying, Job said what was right about me. Now, really, that's just wonderful. And that is the same God with whom we have to do even more so in Christ, in whom we are counted absolutely righteous. <laughs>